0: If you would uh, open up to Genesis chapter 21, uh, you probably gathered that is where we will be this morning as we continue our journey through this uh, through this incredible book. Man, what a blast it has been to, over the past few months, uh, be going through this book together. Uh, before we do get started... Um, Hey, I want to say happy birthday to my wife, um, yes, indeed, yeah, um, it is, uh, it's Miss Courtney's birthday today, man, and um, that is cause for celebration at our house, and so, um, I'm so thankful for Courtney, and um, for the way that she uh, loves our family and serves our family so well, um, and, uh, and she's doing that even now. Even on her day, she's doing that. So, um, so happy birthday, Court. Um, I love you and we love you. So, um, Genesis 21, that is where we are, uh, going to be this morning. Thanks to Mac for reading for us. Um, I'm excited about this section as we uh, observe the presence and persistence of God. The presence and persistence of God from Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 through 34. Sunday night, uh, there were a number of us following our family meeting um, involved in a conversation about, interestingly enough, running. Lydia uh, Hughes was a part of uh, the conversation, uh, and as we discussed uh, running schedules and plans and limitations, she made a comment as a source of encouragement, which it most definitely was, that I have replayed in my mind over uh, the past week. She was talking about training for a half marathon. For those of you who might be runners, uh, or perhaps you're just active on Facebook and you've seen it around, um, Carrollton will be having her first half marathon um, this year. And so a number of us were, were talking about interest in perhaps running in the marathon, and uh, through and, and over the course of our conversation, Lydia uh, said this. Now I'm going to paraphrase because okay? it's not it's not an exact quote, but we're going to get the substance of what she um, of what she had to say. She said, uh, "No one is just ready for a half marathon." And that was kind of the, the conversation. Hey, are you are you are you interested in running this half marathon? I'm not ready for a half marathon. Right? That's kind of the, the context of of the conversation. To which Lydia replied, "Well, nobody's nobody's just." ready for a half marathon. Most people are not going out and going from running not at all or running a mile to running 13. Right? It's just not the way that it. It's just not the way that it works. Instead, what happens, well we we grow into it. First you run a mile. Maybe before that you walk a mile, right? And then you you run 3 miles. Then you run Five miles, then you run seven miles, and before you know it, you turn around and you've run thirteen miles. Right? That's kind of the way that it the way that it happens. There is a there's a faithfulness, right? There's a a certain uh, diligence, time on the streets and in the gym, experience that's packed into minutes, and hours, and days, and weeks, and months, until finally. The goal is obtained, at which point we are able to look back at where we have been. We look down at where we are now, and we see growth. Now, maybe you're not a a runner, right? You're like, okay, that's a really cute illustration, but I'm not a runner. And so, like, make this a little bit more applicable. Okay, well, it, it really you can replace it anywhere, right? You can talk about um, playing an instrument or learning a subject or, or even grasping a difficult concept. The illustrations are quite literally endless. The idea is is this, that faithfulness produces recognizable growth. Growth that we are able to recognize and growth that is oftentimes recognized by others. It's not always easy, right? When you, think about, when you think about the monumental task of lacing up your sneaks and setting off on a 13-mile run, that is not easy. It's not an easy task. But... It is a natural byproduct of a concentrated effort in that direction, isn't it? Over the next two weeks, we are going to look in on a series of interactions between a number of, of familiar characters who draw out this reality for us. This reality. Right? The, the benefits for God's people as a result of the faithful intentionality of God. That's what we're talking about, the the benefits for God's people as a result of the faithful intentionality of God. We're saying a number of really important things there, aren't we? We're talking of, of the Lord's intentionality, right? That the Lord is indeed intentional, that God is intentional, and that his people reap great benefits of his intentionality. Three observations that I want us to make from these verses this morning in Genesis chapter 21. Number one is this, that our covenant God goes with his people. Our covenant God goes with his people. Number two, our covenant God works in his people. All right, so first you, you've got this idea that our, that our covenant God, that our promise-keeping God goes, goes with his people. And then we have this idea of, of our covenant-keeping God working in his people. For, for finally, embracing this reality, right, that our covenant God is worthy of all of our worship. So let me review those for those of you who are, who are taking notes, which we always encourage. Be note-takers, okay? Be note-takers. Our covenant God goes with His people. We're going to see this in verses 22 through 24. Our covenant God works in His people. We'll see this from verses 25 through 32. And then finally, our covenant God is worthy of all of our worship, observable in verses 33 and 34. All of these come around this big idea. Okay? This this big idea. and In response to the presence and persistence of God, His people practice faith and worship. Okay? Let me say that one more time. Alright? Something about God, and then... The response of his people. In response to the the presence and persistence of God, we are saying that the Lord is indeed present and that he is indeed persistent. His people practice faith and worship. This is the idea that we're seeking to, to nail down over these three observations. So let's begin with the first. And that is this, that, that our covenant God goes with his people. Look with me at Genesis chapter 21, verse 22. It reads, at That time Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, verse 24, I will swear. Let's do a little bit of background, okay? In Genesis chapter 20, we see Abraham and Sarah, his wife, moving through the territory of the Negev, settling down between Kadesh and Shur, before sojourning into a neighboring community, the neighboring community of Greer, where Abraham, fearing for his life, presents his wife Sarah as his sister. Believing Sarah to be single, Abimelech, yes, that same Abimelech that we're reading about here, takes her to be his. What follows is a great display of God's care for his covenant people. And his grace in that before his sin could progress, the the sin of Abimelech, there is an intervention. Intervention. God speaks to Abimelech, and in doing so, he, he defines more accurately Abraham and Sarah's relationship. There's a defining of the relationship, calling him to return her to her husband, Abraham. Now, if you remember, there's a a very specific and noteworthy response from Abimelech. He is noticeably upset about the way that this entire scene has unfolded. Naturally so. He's he's noticeably upset about Abraham's deception. He's he's noticeably upset about Abraham's deception and through it his failure to care for his own well-being. Or we talked about Abraham's inability to love his neighbor well, given that he sets Abimelech in a really awkward and precarious position. Given that through his lie, the lie of Abraham, he being Abimelech was set on a trajectory to sin against this holy God. At the same time, Abimelech, while being upset about the deception of Abraham, is really excited about being obedient to the voice of God. Who, in Genesis 20, verse 7, makes it clear that if he does not return her, he and those who are his will die. Did you catch all of that? Right? There's this this subtle reminder echoing back to the first few chapters of Genesis, that with sin comes judgment. Judgment from a holy God, and with this judgment, death. Any desire for retaliation that might have existed from Abimelech toward Abraham is discouraged through this consequence. As well as from the Lord, a clear and faithful articulation of Abraham's identity as a prophet of God. All of this serves to bring clarity to the statements of Abimelech here in Genesis chapter 21 toward Abraham. Look there with me again, verse 22. Abimelech says to Abraham, all of this in light of the scene that we have just unpacked, God is with you. God is with you in all that you do. Let's not not run past that. Let's not not miss that. This is is extremely important. Incredibly profound observation and articulation from Abimelech. God is with you. Wrapped up in this is a is a request from Abimelech, right? There's this this very interesting request from Abimelech, informed by his past interaction with Abraham, that which, which we just talked about. Okay, so so keep that in your mind as we transition forward in the text. Look with me at verse twenty three. You've got this this really profound, right? Observation and articulation from Abimelech. God being with Abraham. Listen to what he says in verse 23. Now therefore, Abimelech says, swear to me here by God, that's really important, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so, he says, you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Let's boil this down. Okay, let's let's just peel back the layers and, and seek greater understanding and insight. In short, Abraham, as far as I'm concerned, Abimelech says, you do not have the greatest track record of honesty. In fact... Quite the opposite is true. You have a track record of dishonesty. And as a result, Abimelech desiring peace with Abraham for he and for his family after him, brings Abraham's relationship with God into the equation. And he does so in order to ensure that he would tell him the truth. You have lied to me in the past, and therefore as we are engaged in this particular conversation, I am laying out the name of the Lord and asking asking you to, to swear that things will go well for me and for my family, recognizing your authority, given you by the authority of the Lord. All of which we observe Abraham doing. He he swears peace in verse 24. And so so what is the central idea in all of this? What are we to to glean? What are we to take away? Central here is this. Central here is is God's commitment to his word. Central here is, is God's commitment to his word to bless Abraham and to, through Abraham, bless all of the nations of the world. A faithfulness echoed by both Jeremiah and Lamentations 3 and Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Each speaking of the faithfulness of God. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah has to say. Lamentations 3 verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. there's There's this echoing of the faithful character of the Lord, of his trustworthy nature. We see a similar echo from Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2. As he writes, if we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful. Right? And so, so what, do we, what do we glean both from the prophet Jeremiah as well as Paul's letter to Timothy? Well, we glean this. Right? That the, the Lord's faithfulness is not ultimately dictated by our faithfulness. Thank goodness. There are indeed admirable qualities found in Abraham. Okay, let's not say that there, there are none qualities that we would do well to desire. However, <laughs> let us not be confused. Okay, that which is most amazing from the life of Abraham, observed and articulated by Abimelech here is this: that God is faithful. Right, that God is is faithful even when His people are not, in spite of the sin of God's prophet,
1: which is at
0: its core a failure to trust in the providential plan of the Lord and His movement, wrapping His His arms fully around the character and nature that has been on display already, we see, in spite of this sin, that God remains with him. Right? That God remains with Abraham. This is the message of Moses. As he pens these first five books for the people of God, preparing to what? To take possession of the land that he had promised. Let us remember, as we sit in this room, Let's be clear, okay, we are not the first audience, right? We are not the first recipients of this letter, of this account, of this, this historical narrative. God's people are. God's people, having been delivered from hundreds of years of bondage and slavery and oppression in Egypt, 40 years wandering through the wilderness, now preparing to take possession of this promised land. And Moses' message is this. Right? His, his message to them is this. A most encouraging reality. God is with His people. Right? Do, we, do we get that? Do we, do we hear that? God is with His people. You need to know this in light of where you have been. You need to know this in light of where you will go. Through exile. Through impending hardship. What is the message of Moses? What is God's message to his people? Take heart. Why? What cause for heart? What cause for, for hope? God is faithful. A reality that we observe clearly here, yet one that is expressed even more clearly in and through Jesus, John chapter 1, the Word of God become flesh, dwelling among His people. We're talking about the presence of God with His people. As we look to John chapter 1, we see a fuller fulfillment of this. God with us, so that by faith in the righteousness of Jesus, get this, We can be with Him. Right? God God with us so that by faith in the righteousness of Christ and His atoning, self-sacrificing work upon the cross as we look to and place our confidence in what He has done in order to to bring about this reconciled fellowship with our Heavenly Father, we could be with Him. (laughs) indwelt until that day by his very spirit, God with his people. It's a theme perhaps that is, is introduced or if nothing else reaffirmed here in light of the, the fall of humanity and Lord the Lord's faithfulness to remain committed to his plan and purpose, ultimately to redeem. But we see it so much so much clearer in Christ, don't Great encouragement. And right? not only does our covenant God go with his people, not only does our covenant God dwell in his people, ultimately calling us into fellowship with him, but, number two, our covenant God works in his people. Okay, so, so number one, Right, God is with his people. We understand what this, this looks like for, for Abraham, here and, and now, recognized, confessed, discussed by Abimelech. We understand what this looks like from a New Testament perspective and how the work of Christ produces this for us. Now we transition. Seeking to understand God's work in his people, from verses 25 to 32. Look with me at verse 25. Let's read it again. So, so we've got this, 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 um, this proposition from Abimelech, right? And, um, and Abraham agrees. He, he swears. That's kind of where we finish. And then there is uh, this, a bit of a transition within the dialogue. Verse 25, when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You didn't tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. Let's connect these two sections together, right? With peace having been established, the conversation shifts. There's There's a transition. A shifting toward a well, right, like water well, belonging to Abraham that had been seized by the servants of Abimelech. We see here a, a conversation, don't we? A conversation initiated by Abraham, which, if we are really honest, given Abraham's track record, is a bit of a surprise, and upon first reading, not only is, there, is it a slightly awkward transition, right, to where we may just skim directly over this point without ever considering what it means, not only is, is, is that true, but, but we also are left going, wow, I'm, I'm a bit surprised that Abraham brings up this issue the way that he does. I mean, after all, this is the same man who on more than one occasion lied about his relationship with Sarah. And he lied about his relationship with his very own wife out of fear of what might happen to him, who on more than one occasion practiced deceptiveness. Right? Straightforwardness has not always been, or hasn't exactly been a character quality of Abraham, has it? It's always been kind of this this dancing around, around the issues. And yet, here we observe Abraham, prophet of the Lord, boldly confronting Abimelech on this issue concerning a well. It's a minor dispute. But it's one that could have very easily escalated into something greater. Well, what do you mean? What does that look like? Let's consider for just a moment Abimelech's position. From Abimelech's perspective, as as this issue arises on the heels of of peace, right? It's one of those. Can we not just leave well enough alone, right? Do we need to bring this issue of the well, right, into the conversation? Or you've said like we've established peace, right? There's, there's going to be this this more than cordial relationship between you and I. Can we not just leave that alone? Why do we have to bring this issue of well to uh, to the conversation? I mean, I am a king. And the king of, of Greer, who are you to come at me like this? And over such a small issue. Not to mention that the commander of my army is right here by my side. How does that make a king look? Right, when this when this sojourner with a somewhat shady and deceptive history right, questions your action and the action of your men before leader of his army. If there there has been in the past concern over your own well-being, Abraham, without any type of confrontation, how would you expect me to respond now? If you remember back in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham lies about his relationship with his wife because he sees, observes that there is no fear of the Lord in the land and he becomes afraid. All right, what will they do to me? I'm not, even, I'm not even bringing a point of contention to the table, but just if Sarah is my wife in order to make her his, will Abimelech just like take me out? If that was your fear before and there was no confrontation, then now what does it look like to respond in light of confrontation? But you see, as, as we have stated before, God is concerned not only with what He will do for His people. Right? God is concerned not only with what He will do through His people, but He is concerned with what He will do in His people. This is an incredibly important point. God is is not not only concerned with what He will do. For his people and through his people, but he shows obvious concern for what he will do in his people. Yes, God is faithful, even when his people are not. We have already seen that, we have articulated that, and praise God we've celebrated that, (laughs) right? But God is also faithful to develop faithfulness. Let's say it this way. Based on on what we see through this seemingly simple interaction at the tail end of Genesis 21, it seems quite clear that our God is faithful to teach His people to trust Him. God is faithful to teach His people to trust Him by providing or allowing circumstances that require one to look to Him as the only source of hope. Let's consider how this has played out through the book of Genesis thus far. Like being called out of your father's land into the unfamiliar. Requiring what? Well, requiring trust in God to provide. Or being promised an heir in spite of old age and an apparent inability to conceive, only to wait and wait. And wait, confirming that yes, you are in fact old and getting older, and indeed incapable of conception, requiring for Abraham and from Abraham trust in God to provide. Are we getting the picture here? It's not belabor, but let's consider one more point. We look ahead to, to next week. And we observe Abraham's call to place his son, this this long and much anticipated heir, upon the altar, offering him to the Lord, sacrificing him, requiring from Abraham trust in God to provide. You're a note taker, write this down. yes, Yes, God is... Faithful, right? In more ways than perhaps we can even begin to imagine, or or maybe in more ways than we're even willing to embrace at this particular point. Yes, God is faithful to teach His people to trust in Him and His absolute control. God is faithful to teach His people to trust in Him and His absolute control. God, knowing what is good and Right for his people. Places them in positions to look to and trust in him. Our God, knowing what is good and right for his people, places them in position to look to and trust in him. Demonstrating faith. As one gets a glimpse of the growth that God is producing. This changes the way that we see our circumstances, certainly. It changes the way that we see see hardship. It changes the way that we see difficulty. It changes the way that we we see those things in our lives that are most difficult, that are creating in our lives in this season. An incredible amount of stress and anxiety. Uneasiness. Calling us. To trust in Him. Here we see a a preparatory work of God. What do you mean? We see a a preparatory work of God teaching us about the requirement of faith. right? What What it looks like and how it results in complete reliance. Let's consider how this plays itself out in terms of our relationship with God. Right? There's, this, there's this recognition that we bring nothing to the table, that there is nothing in us that we might present to the Lord that is capable of bringing about reconciliation within that relationship. Did you catch all of that? Does that make sense? Are you, are you following me here? I mean, there's nothing that we can bring to Him. Even those things that we would hold out as our most righteous deeds are as... Filthy rags before a holy, holy, holy God. Right? We're we're brought into this this realization of our corruptness. We're brought into this realization of our sin. We are brought into this realization of our great need. And we are grasping if there is nothing good in me. Right? If there is there's nothing in me that is, that is ultimately, in and of itself, pleasing to the Lord, then what hope is there for reconciliation? Christ. Right? We're, we're brought to this, this position in which we, we realize our complete reliance. Right? That it's not our works, that it's not our deeds, it's not our ability, but it's the work of Jesus. It's his faithfulness. Right? It's his perfect life lived in our place. It is his self sacrificing death, his atoning death in our place, becoming a curse for his people, a sin stained people. That we might be that we might be clean. Right? And in becoming clean as we are brought into Christ. We are now pleasing to the Lord. Do you see how that all works, right? I mean, it's just, it's this incredible picture. Indeed, growth is not easy. Amen? Amen. But it is a natural byproduct of a concentrated effort. Growth is not easy, but it is a a natural byproduct of a concentrated effort. Specifically, a concentrated effort from God to produce it. A work that He both begins and finishes. As Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Assuring God's people that He who began a good work in you will what? May cling to this. I hold to this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. All of this leads to a concentrated effort on our part to now rest in him. Right, a reality that we were created for. Do you get this? Think about this, this, this pre-corruption I think about think about life before the fall. In creation, through creation, we observe humanity's natural position. God's desire that in him we would find rest, that we would rest in him. God is God is revealing this, right? He's he's working this. He he begins this. And He will complete it. And all of this leads you and I to to focus, okay? Like to to, to focus our efforts to, to, to fight sin and to fight complacency and rest in Him. Abraham has trusted God. And now he is trusting God to meet his need and to work in this very scene, a faith that God is committed to growing. Look with me at verse 27. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Isn't it interesting how how humanity over the course of this book begins to to relate to one another and commit to one another in the same way that God commits to his people. Isn't that interesting, right? As though though God and the way that that he is committed and the way that he is faithful and the way that he has worked is now trickling down and it's informing the way that these two men relate with one another. There's There's this covenant commitment, verse 28. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? To which Abraham responds in verse 30. He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Listen to this. This is incredible. Here we see a well that belongs to Abraham. It's his. It was seized by the servants of Abimelech. The issue is brought to the table. And this, this 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 character in Abraham that has demonstrated clear deception in the past boldly walks into this issue, trusting in the Lord. This is my well. <laughs> Your servants have seized it. What's the deal? And then he displays this incredible act of sacrifice. We see a well that belongs to Abraham, and yet there is a sacrifice from Abraham in order to ensure its acquisition. In order to ensure its possession. Man, what a glorious picture of the gospel. You and I, sin-stained image-bearers. Created ones, purchased by their creator, through the blood of the Lamb of God, slain for our forgiveness and purchase. And faith, right, faith that that his work is sufficient. That his faith is sufficient for our rescue from God's wrath and the curse. Assuring our possession. Assuring our possession in Christ as we are in this life conformed into his image. Here, Abraham sets forth seven ewe lambs in order to purchase that which is already his. Right The gospel is this beautiful picture of God through the sacrifice of the Son, the slain lamb purchasing back that which He already created. It's a beautiful picture that provides helpful gospel insight to this very small scene tucked away here at the end of Genesis chapter 21. Not only does our our covenant God go with his people, not only does our covenant God work in his people, but verses 33 and 34, our covenant God is worthy of all our worship. God is the hero in this story. Okay? And what we see in verses 33 and 34 is a right response to this realization. That God is with his people, that God works in his people, right? Holy, 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 set apart, right? Residing in, dwelling in, unapproachable light. Abraham planted a tamarind tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Let us get this as we begin to, to close out our time together. Right, that, that God's faithfulness produces growth in us. God's faithfulness produces growth in us. An understanding that elicits from you and I worship, calling upon The name of our everlasting God. Having been called into faith, now growing in faith as a result of the persistence of God, we say, along with John from Revelation chapter 4, Worthy are you, O Lord, and God, to receive glory and honor and power. In response to to the presence and persistence of God, his people. As we said in the beginning, practice faith and active worship. the, The encouragement of God for his people who read these words across time and across space is as follows. Know something, right? Know that your God is with you and know that he is trustworthy. Know that your God is with you, and know that He is trustworthy. As you walk in His covenant promise, know that God is with you. As you are are called into that which seems impossible, know that your God is with you. To which we we say, along with with the great hymn, I'm so glad I learned to trust Thee. Right, precious Jesus, save your friend, and I know that thou art with me and will be with me till the end. Till the end. Knowing that God is with you, having rescued your soul through the finished work of Jesus, the cross of Christ, and his resurrection evidence, his commitment to fulfill his mission, The redemption of the nations and their transformation. In response, we adore and worship our creator. Did you get it? We know and worship our creator knowing that he rules sovereignly, exercising absolute power and control over the world's destiny and ours. And so the question that we are left to consider as we close out our time today is this. Is this where you are? Is this where you are? Is this the the trust that we have in the Lord? Is Is this the confidence that we have in Him, even in seasons of really difficult circumstances? that He is is with us, that He is in us, working realities that elicit from God's people a response of worship. I pray so. I pray that's where you are. But if it's not, then I pray that that changes today. If that's where you are, praise God, man. That is a gift. If it's not... Let's look to him, resting in the the hope of the gospel that this might be changed in us today.